You're listening to the City Church Tallahassee podcast. For more information about City Church, please visit us online at citychurchtallahassee.com. Hey, good morning and happy new year. My name's Dean. We're going to start working through the book of Acts as a church family, uh, which is God's story of how he made his redemptive power, his love, his plan for salvation known uh, in the area where it first was declared, but also to the ends of the earth. We could even say that we are here today. Uh, because of what took place in the book of Acts. Uh, So it's an important story written by Luke for us to know and understand. Uh, So we're just going to work through this book for until we get done with it. And we'll be in the first eight verses this morning, also with a little bit of introductory type of ideas. I'm excited that groups are starting up soon, that our Bible studies are starting up soon. Uh, We're back to three services now, so this service is a little, maybe a little too busy for you or feels a little too crowded. We do have an 8.30 and an 11.30 service, uh, just an FYI. Uh, So they say if you go to the 10 o'clock service, you love the church, but if you go to the 8.30 service, you love God. Just, just, just want to let you know that. That's, a, that's just what I've heard before. I'm not, I'm not really sure. Uh, but I hope everyone is uh, ready just to launch this new year. I know it's kind of almost seems like it's old news now that it's a new year, uh, but here we are finally all back together, and I'm excited to go forward with the good news of the gospel in Tallahassee as we ask the Lord to make his name known, to make disciples, and also just for people who are here who are trying to check it out and understand the faith and are, are maybe searching, whatever it could be, uh, that you will know that God loves you, and that love is understood in the fact that he sent his son to die for you. And the fact that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, the only way to forgiveness, the only way to reconcile our sin. And that is such good news for us because it's been provided for us. Like we are people in desperate need of salvation. Uh, so those of you who are Christians, that need has been met by Jesus. And those of you who aren't sure, I just would encourage you to really just listen and, as, and just give it some time. Give it a few weeks before you make a decision. Like, be here. Give it a chance to really hear exactly what it is the gospel has to say. Uh, so I'm going to pray for us. And uh, they say that New Year's resolutions are really just a to-do list for the first week of the year. Uh, so now that's over with. Uh, here we go on, normal life. So let's pray uh, together. Father, we are thankful for your love for us. We're thankful you've given us the scriptures So we can know what it is that you have to say. We can know you through your word. Uh, What an act of grace it is that we have the words of our creator, the words of our gods. In the book of Acts, I ask that we'll be found faithful in how we receive them, teach them, understand them, and what we do with it. I ask that we will be people who are mindful of your love for us constantly, that we will long for your approval we already have in Jesus rather than the approval of this world. I ask to keep the enemy out of this place, out of our city, that you be with all the churches as they gather today, that the name of Jesus will be made known in 2023 in this city, and that you will send it out to the ends of the earth from here. I pray for our missionaries around the world, and Lord, I ask that they will be comforted by you, used by you for your glory, that you'll protect them, and that you will use them to further the gospel, and that you will also use us here as your ambassadors and missionaries in Tallahassee. We lift up those in our church family who are hurting today, who are sick, Lord, we ask for your healing and peace upon their lives. And we ask this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. So here is Luke writing his second narrative. And he begins, he's a a physician, a very detailed writer. His gospel, and by gospel, we mean the first four books of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, Luke wrote one of those. His gospel is the most detailed, the most, you know, really gets into the nitty-gritty of describing things. He was a physician. Uh, So now here he's writing his second narrative. And here's how he begins it. Says I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, who's the recipient of this letter, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. So my first narrative, my gospel, was all about Jesus, about his life, his teachings, his miracles, the cross, the resurrection, what that means for us. All of it was in the book of Luke. Until the day he was taken up, 
as in he gave an ending point of where his writing was going to be, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, so remind them of the cross. This cross is central to what we believe, that he suffered, that he was tried, he was beaten, he was judged for crimes he didn't commit. He suffered for God's people as was planned all along. He suffered. He also presented himself alive. Easter, he rose from the grave to them by many convincing proofs. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that he appeared to over 500 people resurrected at one time and said many of them are still alive. You want to go ask them. They didn't hear about Jesus. They saw the resurrected Jesus. Go talk to them. They'll verify it. One or two people, we can say, oh, they just hallucinated. Maybe they just got pressured. Over 500 people, many are who still alive. I, I'm not, I don't know anything about law. Never taken a legal class. But you have 500 witnesses. I'm guessing you're going to win that case every single time. Any attorneys here? Yes, amen. Okay, that was free. All right, so... He appeared to them over a period of 40 days. Not a hallucination, not a mistaken identity, over 40 days. And what was he doing? He was speaking about the kingdom of God. So here out of the gate, Luke is setting out to provide certainty, assurance for the believers that God has kept and fulfilled his promises in Jesus Christ. That everything so far is working according to plan. Even his first narrative, the book of Luke, after Jesus died, the disciples are like, I guess we got duped. I guess he really wasn't the one that we thought he was. I guess he's another Johnny-come-lately magician or some cult leader because all those people eventually just die. And here we are thinking he was the one. We're ready to give our lives to follow him. And just like every other one that's come before, he died. Then Jesus appears, and Luke tells the story on the road to Emmaus, and he tells the disciples, he says, don't you remember what I taught you? What the Old Testament pointed to, that the Messiah would suffer, that he would die for your sins, so you don't have to die for them. And then that he rose from the grave, remember I told you over and over again as we were walking around Jerusalem together, that I would rise again? Here I am. And here Luke again is saying, this is just as it was told. He has done this for his glory. He has done this out of his love for Israel, for the nations. And I want to assure you, he's writing, before you go off into this new endeavor that God has given you about his missionaries, everything is on track and going according to plan. We could call Acts, this book, kind of a bridge between the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and the rest of the New Testament. It's what makes sense of everything else written in the Bible. Uh, The New Testament letters like Galatians and Ephesians, uh, those different New Testament books towards the back of your Bible, you'll see in the book of Acts, Paul in those cities doing ministry, starting churches, will all come together and make sense and help us understand how we, as Christians in 2023, as a local church, got here. But here's an important reminder from an author named Mark Jones. He said that nothing should keep our minds busier on earth than this great reality. The Holy One of God referring to Christ, was declared unholy. He took on our sin so that unholy sinners, that being all of us apart from Christ, might stand unblemished before a holy God. This is what drove them. 
This was the love that gave them peace, the love that gave them assurance. This would allow them to have passion for what they believed, to be unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God, through his grace and love, through the death of Christ and his resurrection, has made us people, even though our sin list is a mile long, it's made us people who now stand before God unblemished, made new, made whole, forgiven of our sins. The greatest need in all of humanity is to be forgiven of your sins. And God has provided that for us in Jesus. And Luke is saying, I assure you, it was exactly as he carried out things to be. He is resurrected, he's ascending to heaven, he is the Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, the gospel is true. We're not wasting our time. This good news is for all of us and it is true. So a new era in Acts is getting ushered in, kind of an unofficial three eras of the Bible. One is just life before the Messiah, before Jesus, the Old Testament all the way into the the Bethlehem manger. Life before Christ, but it was pointing to Jesus, it was prophesying about Jesus, it was giving us symbolic reminders of what the Messiah would ultimately do by giving his life, shedding his blood, being the sacrifice for our sins. It was providing hope for a people who were longing for renewal, life before the Messiah. The second era, again, unofficial eras, is life with the Messiah. These people actually walked around with Jesus and saw him in the flesh, like bodily Jesus. So it was life with the Messiah. And then now in era three, we're a part of that currently, and that is life after the Messiah, where Jesus had already resurrected, he ascended into heaven, and now they're trying to figure out what's it gonna look like for us as ones who actually saw Jesus and physically walked around with him and heard from him in actual live setting, what's it look like for us now to follow Jesus and to be a faithful Christian after Jesus has risen from the grave and ascended into heaven? We've never done that before. And the answer is gonna be based on what they believe to be true about Jesus Christ. How they're going to live now It's going to be based on their confession and belief of who Christ actually is. You see, the Gospels, those first four books of the Bible, model the Christian life, but it models it for us as lived by the perfect man, Jesus Christ. Now, Acts, after Jesus has ascended to heaven, is now going to see it modeled how to live for Christ by imperfect people. So here we are, imperfect people, about to read the story of imperfect people, trying to follow the only one who has ever been perfect. But the good news is we believe the gospel that in God's eyes, we are seen as people who have a clean slate and a clean record. That Christ's perfection, we inherit, we receive, I should say, as our perfection. And he holds it in his hands until the day he returns. J.T. Squire says this, the plan of God concerning Acts functions as the foundational theological motif. It's going to be God's plan, his sovereignty, his design for his people, and how he is going to make his message go to the world. That plan is the foundation of this book. So back to verse 1. This account is going to be about Jesus and the work of the gospel story. It's going to happen by the mission of the church that's going to be carried out by the promised Holy Spirit who indwells believers and empowers them to carry out the task that God has called them to. See, the work of Christ is going to continue. It was promised to them that the Holy Spirit would fill them, and they're about to see the reality of that coming true. So verse 2 tells us that they will experience Jesus by the Holy Spirit. 
That's how in this post-Jesus in the flesh era that they're gonna know and see and understand God. The Holy Spirit was promised and now has been sent. We see some really deep theology here as well in this book, especially Trinitarian theology, where we see that throughout the early scriptures that the Son of God, Jesus, told the disciples about the promise of the Father concerning the Holy Spirit. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Son telling the disciples about the promise of the Father concerning the Holy Spirit. So God is the primary character in the book of Acts and in all of the Bible. And he's gonna carry out his plan through local churches that he is going to establish throughout this book. These are believers who are filled by the promised spirit to accomplish the great task of taking this good news to the ends of the earth. Uh, Patrick Schreiner, uh, who wrote a very helpful Acts commentary, uh, I've read a lot of Acts stuff over the past couple months, and I think his was probably the most helpful, so if you want to go a little further with it, it's a pretty thick book, uh, but it's really helpful, and he put this chart together to help us understand how God is working and operating and what's taking place, uh, so I wanted to give us a chance to kind of work through it for a minute. So it all begins with the fact that God the Father orchestrates. Like, he is the one who does all the, the initial work. He is the one that is laying his plan out for redemption to make his glory known through the salvation of sinners. He is the one who orchestrates it. How does it happen? Through Christ, who is the risen and enthroned one. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. So who believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. That Jesus would be the one who died for the sins of the world, who would redeem a people to himself. That all who trust and by faith and believe this gospel, their sins are forgiven. They are made new, they're made righteous, they are guaranteed eternal life. So God orchestrates this and it happens through the death and resurrection of Christ who is now risen, who is now enthroned, he's ascended into heaven. We're really gonna get into the ascension next week and why it's a big deal and why it matters. So this is what's taking place and it's still taking place through the Spirit. God promised the Holy Spirit and the Spirit would be what would indwell believers to carry out the task that God has called them to and that Spirit would activate the Word would activate the word of God, how we understand it. When you read your Bible as a Christian, the way you can understand it is the spirit allows you to. At your salvation, it only happened because the spirit awakened you to believe. The spirit through the word, the word was planted in your heart and the spirit took that seed and made it a reality of faith in your life that brought you to salvation. So the spirit and the word enact salvation for us. For those who have been saved, who have received salvation through the enthroned Christ by the Spirit and the Word, are then a part of something that God is making and still is making today called the church. And yes, that is a, a universal church of all Christians, but the references in the Bible overwhelmingly when it talks about churches are to actual local congregations in actual cities who are constituted together as a church family doing the work that he has called us to of becoming witnesses. That is the great task of the church. Here is Jesus in Acts chapter one getting ready to go and he's going to tell them that they are going to be his witnesses. That's what all this was about. So God is doing his work, the Father, through Christ. He has given us Christ and it's gonna happen through the Spirit, activates the word in our hearts and to the world to enact salvation, creating the church so we can become witnesses for the glory of God. We're gonna see this, whew, we're gonna see this all over the book of Acts. Verse four, and I'll leave that there so you can go, okay, that's a lot. I'm just gonna look at it for a little bit. 
but please hear these words. Verse four, while he was with them, referring to Jesus, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem. This would be the starting point, but to wait for the Father's promise, which was the Holy Spirit, which he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. Now, when you hear baptism of the Spirit, oftentimes it has maybe charismatic, like ultra-Pentecostal connotations, uh, where someone says that they were you know, baptized by the Spirit and they like fall out or they do something kind of crazy. Uh, that's not what this is talking about. Uh, I'm not trying to disparage my brothers and sisters. I do think we're all on the same team uh, when it comes to that, when it comes to being believers. Uh, but I think a lot of that is, I'm not going to get too into it because I don't want to be harsh. But that's not what this is. Let's just say that. Uh, what happens when you get baptized by the Holy Spirit, it happens at your conversion. It happens at salvation, that the Spirit fills you, regenerates you, changes you. So the baptism of the Holy Spirit is a one-time event that occurs at your salvation when God, by his Spirit, through the death of Christ, makes us new. So now he's telling them that the Holy Spirit's going to come on them. So what happened at that moment, we're going to see as we go into the book of Acts a little bit more, we're going to see the Spirit ascend. Uh, that was prescriptive. Uh, that is not the exact same way it happens today. That was showing us what it looked like for the Holy Spirit to first come onto the scene as was promised. And that is not to say the Holy Spirit was absent throughout the entire Bible. The Holy Spirit is certainly present throughout the scriptures, but in the New Testament, in this moment in Acts, and we actually see it as God promised for it to be, of him being with us in the absence of Christ in bodily form. So one God, three persons, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And the great news is, it might sound a little confusing, we're going to get into a lot of that over the next few weeks and try to make as much sense of it as possible as our minds can absolutely comprehend. So, he, so then here's a question they had for them. So it says in verse six, so when they had come together, they asked him. So he just told them, the Holy Spirit's gonna fill you in a couple days. Like, it's gonna happen. So they're just like, what is going on? I got a lot of questions here. We've been like, I mean, we've kind of been through a lot. Like, we walked with you and saw you do these amazing things and like heal people and take some bread and feed 5,000 people with it. Then we saw you die and thought you were just some kind of hoax. Then you rose from the grave three days later and hung out with us for 40 days. We're a little overwhelmed right now. We got a lot going on. And now you're telling us that like you're leaving and there's gonna be some like Holy Spirit thing. And can we ask some questions here? And they first question, pretty good question. Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? What do they mean by that? In their minds, the restoration of Israel was to bring it back to its days of conquest, of power, of might, of kingship of allowing them to gain political advantage. And they're saying, yes, the Messiah has come. So a lot of them have been taught that by their ancestors, that he's going to come here, and he's going to do all these things. And here's what Jesus said to them. It's not for you to know the times of the periods that the Father has set by his own authority. Remember, God the Father is who orchestrates. He says, but. So he's saying no, but also yes. In other words, yes, the kingdom is going to be here but at the same time, it's not like you think it is. He says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. So the Holy Spirit's going to activate the word, enact salvation, creating the church, becoming witnesses. And what is that going to do? It's going to allow you to be my witnesses in Judea, or Jerusalem, the home base, in Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In other words, no to answer your question, but yes. He's giving them their marching orders. 
And this is going to be fulfilled by spirit-filled apostles who are, resurrect, who are witnesses to the resurrection of Christ, who are going to witness what they have seen and experienced to others who will then go and do the same thing. So what Jesus is doing here is he's pointing them to renewal as their understanding of restoration, not military conquest, that their hearts are going to be changed. But this is how Jesus is actually going, uh, the work of Christ is actually going to be carried out, and what the point of it was, ultimately, was to make a people, not of might, but of spirit. So how is this going to take place, these marching orders? Is going to ha- how? By the spirit. What were the orders going to be? What is it going to mean to be a disciple? It's going to mean that you live your life as a witness, which is more than evangelism and telling the story of the good news, but it's not less. And where was this going to be? It was going to be everywhere, starting from Jerusalem. And we are recipients of it today here in Tallahassee of those initial marching orders made it here to us. So we can know there is one called the Messiah who is the way that sinners can be reconciled to the holy God. So fulfilling this has to happen from the starting point of Jerusalem. This is their original let's go. We're in the middle of a vision right now called Let's Go, which is a two-year expression of our vision to be for the gospel and for the city, to reach the next generation, to have a dynamic and vibrant church in Tallahassee, to send missionaries around the world. They were doing Let's Go long before that. So we are doing Let's Go because they did Let's Go. And we, by grace, are the ones that benefit from it. So we see this in Isaiah. This is hundreds of years before. You are my witnesses. This is the Lord's declaration and my servant whom I have chosen, so that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. No God was formed before me, and there will be none after me. I, I am the Lord. Besides me, there is no savior. And that has been verified by the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his ascension. His exaltation to the highest ruling, it is verified that he is the only one. I beg of you, do not buy into the cultural pressure that all roads lead to the same place. If that is true, then Christmas is irrelevant and pointless, and Easter means nothing. There is only one way to be reconciled to God, and it is through faith in the one that he has sent, his one and only son. Well, that's how you can, yeah, you better believe it. So here's, and here's the good news. Here's the good news. It's available for all people. Yes, it's exclusive, but it's an invitation for all who will come and believe that all that God has appointed is salvation by his grace. It's a very, very wide invitation, but a very narrow road. He says in chapter 49, verse 6, it is not enough for you to be my servant, raising up the tribes of Jacob and restoring the protected ones of Israel. As in, here's the real mission. I will also make you a light for the nations to be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Then Jesus, later on, would stand there hundreds of years later as the one fulfilling this in the Sermon on the Mount and says, let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and glorify God who is in heaven. That I am the light of the world this is the light and darkness that has come. As in this was the point of it all. So oftentimes in a lot of kind of evangelical culture, uh, you hear people say, well, I just need something deeper and deeper. I need something deeper. And, and, and I'm all for us diving into the depths of the scriptures. But the question is, what is the depths of the scriptures? And the depths of the scriptures is the story of the gospel being taken to the ends of the earth. It is God working out his plan of salvation. 
So if anyone wants deeper than demand for the Bible to be preached in a way that lifts up the name of Jesus Christ and calls us to get off our rear ends and go make a difference in our community for his name. That is the deep stuff of God. Here's the last thing Jesus is telling his disciples. The very last thing. You know that last words matter? You know how powerful last words can be? If it's last words as a a military leader, or the last words maybe someone is fortunate enough to be able to say before they die. Someone has a terminal illness, maybe they might get a video of somebody sharing with their kids some instructions. Like, Like last words carry weight. And here's the last words Jesus said to his disciples, is this is what it was all about. That my love for you and what I have come to bring about, the salvation of your souls, will go, will go to the ends of the earth. That this was the point, that everything we do now flows from what we believe about Jesus. Like, I don't want to do church as usual. I don't want to do Tallahassee, check the box. I want to be faithful to the calling he has given us as his witnesses, to live my life for Jesus. And I'm, not, I'm still a work in progress just like you are. But I want to actually really believe this stuff and let it drive every single thing that I do and not be swayed by the latest cultural pressure or progressive ideology or wrong focus. I'm driven by the name that is above all names, that is the name of Jesus, God's saving plan for humanity and the church to whom he gives the call. He says this, what's the call? Turn to me and be saved. This is all in the Old Testament. All the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. And how amazing that our God has not left us hanging or wondering what he means. He has sent his son so that we can know him. So for those of you that have church scars or have been turned off, or I'm guessing that somewhere down the line it stopped being about Jesus. And it stopped being about how you perform, the pressure, guilt, shame, too much focus on politics, uh, letting, you know, whatever the latest ideology, man-made ideology, creep in and drive us to just a, a losing focus, whatever it could have been. And it's easy to do that, which is why I'm not trying to read into the text too much, but I'm convinced that's why out of the gate, Luke begins the message by saying, hey, remember what I wrote about. I wrote about Jesus, and here's what he's done, and he's still with you, and nothing's changed. Now you're called to take this good news and go with it. And for it to impact your life. You don't have to be an extrovert. You don't have to be some extra spiritual person. You don't got to say really good prayers. It's not about any of those things. It's about you believing that Jesus Christ died and rose from the grave. And with your life and in your relationships, that you're unashamed of that truth. You're also well aware of your flaws and your need for Christ. So you're slow to judge. Slow to condemn. Why? Because Christ has not condemned you. Even though there were a million reasons to do so. Instead, he's enacted salvation in you and went through great detail to make it happen. There's an old story, maybe you've heard it before, told throughout history, of a man named David Hume, philosopher, atheist, skeptic. Had to read a lot of him in college, randomly. And he was, George Whitfield was in town, the great evangelist, who was a flawed man as well, but was preaching the good news of Christ to thousands and thousands at a time. I don't know how he did it. They said he'd speak to like 10,000 people at once. Like microphones weren't invented. Maybe more than that. Like, like sometimes it would say hundreds of thousands would gather. I don't know, they'd pass it back to the next person, what they were saying, whatever it might have been. But somebody saw David Hume walking towards it, the, the, act, the, the revival or the gathering, the ministry gathering. And someone said to Hume, like, what are you doing here? Why are you walking towards Whitfield? You don't believe this stuff. And you know what Hume said? He said, you're right. 
I don't believe this stuff, but he does. And because of Whitfield's conviction and his unashamed declaration of the gospel of Jesus Christ and the life change that was happening as a result of the word going out empowered by the Spirit, someone like David Hume wanted to hear what he had to say. When you read the scriptures, do you notice that there's always these unbelievers gathering around to hear what Jesus had to say? And the religious Pharisee crowd didn't like it very much. They kind of wanted to go in the corner and have their little deeper holy huddle, you know, and kind of condemn everybody else. But here are these unbelievers that want to hear what Jesus had to say. And I go fast forward 2,000 years and I'm going, what happened to that? They don't want anything to do with what we have to say. Maybe it's because we got off track. Now, theologically, they don't have the spirit of God. They can't understand spiritual things. The Bible tells us it's foolishness to them. But how interesting. They, wanted, they, they followed. They, wanted, they perked up. They wanted to hear his teachings. Let us be people whose lights shine in such a way that someone goes, you know what, I don't believe that. Like my coworker does, but she does. And guess, and guess who they call when those relationships are built, when it hits the fan in their life? or they have questions. They're not calling their self-help book. They're calling their friends that know the light and are unashamed of being his witnesses because somewhere down the line, they knew there was something different, something that that person had that they didn't, and it's not that we're more righteous or that we're better, it's that simply that we had the spirit of God by the grace of God and have been made new in the presence of Christ. So I wanna leave you with this quote by Mark Jones one more time before we stand and sing together. I'm excited to get in this book. There's so much in this book, and I would just love for you just to give it a shot and say, you know what, not even New Year's resolution way, just because I think it's important for the church to gather together. There's more to being a Christian than going to church. There is not less. It's going to make a priority in our lives. Why? Because as Mark Jones says, I want to encourage you with this, that nothing should keep our minds busier on earth than this great reality. The Holy One of God was declared unholy so the unholy sinners might stand unblemished before a holy God. You know what usually fills our minds? What does she think? What does he think? What does that person say about me? How many folks like my post? What do they think of me as a mom? Am I working hard enough? How do I measure up to that rival dad down the street? Those are the things that fill our minds. When those things do fill our minds because we're human, or how can I have pleasure? How can I get over this bad feeling? How can I get a fix? How can I get a, a high? Whatever it might be. When those things, which we're human, they're going to pop in our minds, what do we do? We remind ourselves that what God thinks of us is not some cliche thing. It really is the most important thing. And it's already been decided on a cross when he did not punish us as our sins deserve. And one day we are told that he will come back again and make all things new. And all pain will go away, all tears will go away, there'll be no more death, no more sickness. The last enemy to be defeated is death, and it will be defeated. Why? Because Jesus is ruling and reigning, and he has conquered it, mission accomplished, through his death and resurrection. And here's what's amazing. We get to be his witnesses to tell this story that's changed our lives, and is the only thing that can change others. Let's believe this, because Jesus is alive. Let's pray together. Our Father, we are thankful for the word of God that tells us who you are. We cannot know who you are. We cannot know Christ out the scriptures, but you have given us it by your grace. So I ask that we'll be a church that believes the Bible, 
that receives the Bible. We do not think it needs our altering. We don't think it needs us to take anything away or add anything to it. Because it as it is, is your word and it is perfect for us. For those in this room that just aren't quite sure, Lord, I ask that you allow them to see. That you open our eyes to see. We can't believe unless you allow us to by grace. Like you have to, your, your word tells us that you're the one who empowers us, who awakens us, who gives us the spirit so we can see with new eyes. Lord, I ask that spiritual resurrections will take place. And Lord, those of us who know you, that we'll be confident in Christ, not ourselves. We'll be slow to condemn, slow to judge, because you did not condemn us. So allow our ministry and our witness to be one of the great news of Jesus. And let us speak your plan and your design and your great name and your love and your justice to this world that needs it so desperately. So I ask we'll be unashamed of the good news and unashamed of the gospel together. Because we're thankful that even though our sins are many, your mercy is so much more. Let us believe that together today and take delight and passion and not be indifferent about these amazing truths of the scriptures that you've given us through your word. We ask this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Let's stand together, sing some good news. If you want to talk to anybody after the service, maybe talk about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, to be a part of God's family, to be counted as his people. Go in the care room afterwards. People that are ready to talk to you. Let's sing some good news together.